Well, every now and then, I feel like that uh, as your pastor, there's times that I need to go back and go to those things that I feel like that we need to say. That we need to go back and reiterate some things just for people, especially new people, they're new Christians, different things. And I feel like sometimes in this world that we're in, that we struggle with a lot of things. One of the things that we struggle with, I think, in many ways is the forgiveness of God. Will God forgive me when I've done something I wish I hadn't done? Will God forgive me? Will God forgive me when I have given my heart and my soul to Him and I've asked Him to be my Lord and His, my Savior, His Savior or my Savior and yet I've done things I shouldn't have done? Will he forgive me in those times? And even though I go to him and I ask him to do this, and, and he, does he give up on me? What I want to say to you this morning is, he does not. He doesn't give up on you. And so I want to answer that question this morning. And I want to have a word of prayer first, and then we're going to get into this. Father, I thank you for today. And Lord, I pray simply for those that are sitting in my presence today. And I pray simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything. Lord, I pray simply that you be with us today. And I pray, Father, that that person who's sitting here, who really doesn't, they, maybe they have made an attempt to come to Christ, but they feel like they've failed. Or maybe they don't understand what power that the Lord gives to us. They, they don't quite understand in that and how to live the Christian life the way we should and victorious. Or maybe there are, there are those who don't understand that you really want us to live life victoriously. That that which is born of God overcomes the world. So I pray, Father, today you'd help me in this. And I ask you to be with us, and we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. I want to read several scriptures to you, and I want you to really take these to heart. First one is found over in Matthew 12, verse 31 through 32. I want you to hear this. It says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven men. But the blaspheme against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Why will the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit not be forgiven? Because the only mediator between you and God, the Father, is Jesus Christ. But the only mediator between you and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you basically have cut yourself off from Jesus by that. But you know, I want you to read on. But listen, this is therefore I say, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven men. Verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Listen what the Word of God says. John 6, 37 through 40 says, all, the, all that my Father gives me, and will come unto me, and one who comes to me, 
listen to this, I will in no wise cast out. Listen to what it goes on to say in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given me, I should lose nothing, lose nothing, that's you, but should raise it up the last day. Verse 40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. What is everlasting life? That is life that goes on forever and ever. And I will raise him up at the last day. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, I am for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah 1.18, it says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Do you hear what the Lord's saying to you? You who feel like you're so far away. Listen to what he says in John 6.39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but you raise it up the last day. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. Notice that word. You were sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been sealed. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What a great God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. If you go to hell, I will tell you this. You chose to go to hell. God didn't send you there. I once heard a story of a little 10-year-old boy. His father and his mother had to go away, and so they were sending him to his grandparents who lived three hours away. And they decided to send him on a bus. How dangerous you think that would be, especially in the day and time we live in with all the, the catching of kids and everything else that's gone on. But this is back years ago. They decided to send him on a bus, and his grandparents would meet him. His mother gave instructions as to how he was to conduct himself, and she told him over and over and over again, maybe 12 times, not to get off the bus unless to use the restroom. But then his dad came to him and gave him some money, and he told him to buy some candy, but he also put a note in his pocket. He said, I made it to my grandparents, but on the bus, he pulled out the note, and his dad had written, and it read like this. The note said, this is my son... And he belongs to his, the father's name and the mother's name. And I live at this address and my phone number. And please call if you find him. That's what they say. The Lord's done the very same thing for you. He's taken a note. And he's put it in your pocket. And he sealed it by the Holy Spirit. And basically what he said... The Lord has done that very same thing. He just says, look in your shirt pocket of your spirit and you'll see it because the Lord has made, laid public claim to you. 
And here's what he's saying to you. He's saying to you, this child, this person is mine. This person, this child is mine. God wants Satan and his minions to know this one belongs to me. And the Holy Spirit has been entrusted to care for you according to what Ephesians 1.13 says. In him also you trusted after you heard the word of truth that the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He sealed you. Paul a little bit later will tell us not to grieve the Holy Spirit in 4.30 but he also will say this by whom you were sealed for the day of for the day of redemption. In both passages, Paul spoke in simple past tense to emphasize an accomplished deed. In other words, what's he saying to us? He's saying, we're not being sealed, nor are we hoped to be sealed. We have been once and for all time been sealed by the Spirit for redemption, is what he's saying. First John chapter 7, excuse me, 7. There's not seven chapters in John. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says this. If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, when you read it in the Greek, here's what it says. It says simply, he has cleansed us, He is cleansing us, and He continues to cleanse us. There's never a time that the precious blood of Jesus and His children is not cleansing us from all sin. That's what it says. The word seal, you know, is a verb. A lid on a pickle jar. I just had some really good pickles. A lid on a pickle jar... You, you, you tighten it, you, 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 seal, you lick an envelope to seal a letter. You notarize the contract to seal the deal. Sealing declares ownership, and it secures the contents that are there. Sealing is the act that says, this is mine, this is my protection. You accepted Christ, you sealed you, he sealed you with the Spirit. Satan may try to discourage you, may try to influence you, but he cannot have you. He cannot have you. Christ has identified you as his own. He's identified you on as his own. And that's why Ephesians 4.30, listen, what, what, what does it say? Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. John, 26, uh, John 6, verse 27, and Jesus and us have identical, the same status. Listen to what it says. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. The very same seal that he set on Jesus, he set on you. Not only are we sealed, but we've been adopted. Do you know you were adopted? And we stand around and we talk about how nobody loves us and nobody cares for us, and you know. And we say, well, I, I, just, I just don't think anybody loves me. I just don't think anybody cares for me. I wonder if the Lord's not standing there saying to us, what am I, a chopped liver? You know? 
Because listen to what he says. He, 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 says, he says to us simply over there that he, as he tells us, he, he tells us in Romans 8, he says, For as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, listen to this, the adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the word Abba means daddy. And we, when we were in Israel, we see these little kids running around hollering, Abba, 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 Abba. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Oh, what a privilege it is to think that we can take the, the God of the universe and call him Father. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to expose to you the idea that he is your Father. He's your Father. It says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, and we may also be glorified with him. And you know what? When, when it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, I keep, I was, many times in my life I was waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down and say, you know, you're mine, you're mine, whatever. That's not necessarily what he's trying to say here. You know what he's trying to say? He says when you get on your knees and you pray, and some of us, some of us say, "Boy, our prayers aren't perfect, and we don't." And when, when we pray, it just doesn't seem like it. It, it seems like I've got that. Uh, the Bible even talks about how we have a ceiling over us. It just seems like our prayers bounce off of it. But do you know what the what the Holy Spirit does at that time? This is why it says our spirit bears witness with His spirit. The Holy Spirit, in that times, He will take your prayers. Remember the story in Leviticus how. You know, Mary and Joseph, when they went to offer something for Jesus, all they could afford was a turtle dove or a pigeon. They took it. And so the, they would take that turtle dove or that pigeon to the priest. And when he would, guess what he would do? He'd break its neck. And then he would take it and he would take all the feathers off. And he would make that, that offering perfect. When you get on your knees and you cry out to God and you ask him to help you. And your prayers go up and you say, boy, I... You know, it may be just a simple prayer. Lord, help me, whatever. Listen, the Holy Spirit will take your prayers and he will make them into what exactly that the Lord needs to hear. That his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're his. You see, not only we're sealed, but we're adopted. You got adopted. You're no slave. I, you know, some people, you know, think, when I, when I, my kids, when my kids, I went to the hospital and they just sort of handed them to you. And they were wrinkled and all that kind of, you just got them. But some of you that may be in here that maybe you got adopted, let me just say this to you. You're a very special person. You're a special person. You got chose. You got chose. You got chosen. And so when the Bible says to us that we've been adopted, he's saying to you and I, I choose you. I choose you. I've chosen you, man. You're no slave, you know. You're no slave. Because it says here, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, the sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, whereby you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, with the children of God. And listen to this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified with him. 
You're no slave. You know, a slave continually. And did you notice that, that there is no fear? You know, did you notice simply that, that, that you know, there's no fear in this? There, and we're not buying again to fear, but you receive the spirit of God whereby we cry. You see, a slave is afraid. He fears. Afraid the master won't approve of the work done. There's some of us that have come to Christ and this is how we live. We're afraid that, that, that he won't approve of anything we do. We're afraid the master won't provide for the future. Or we're afraid that the master will sell you at some point or give you away. People come to me sometimes and say, well, now Lee, you preach that old greasy grace. Yep, and I'm going to slide all the way into heaven with it too. You know? Yeah, I do. But let me just say this to you. I hear people come to me, well, you, you know, God won't give you away, but you can take yourself out of your hand. Well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you take yourself out of his hand? How do you do that? You know, when, when the Bible simply teaches me that he who hath begun a good work in you, Philippians 1, 7, he who hath begun a good work in you will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come is able to separate me from the love of Christ. What, the, who, if you do take yourself out of God's hand, whatever, who would be doing that to you? Would it not be a principality? Yes, it would. So you're not a slave. Or if you screw up, he will abandon you. A slave has not a father, a son relationship that gives you the assurance. In the Old Testament, God is described as the father 15 times. But in the New Testament, he's referred to our father more than 200 times. 200 times. What happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I'll tell you what happened. Christ happened. That's what happened. Christ's death on the cross was the final payment. Psalms 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. His forgiveness is irreversible. Listen to this. It's irreversible. Romans 11, verse 29, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Well, what if I sin after I've been saved? Well, you know what? When I read, when I read the book of Hebrews, it tells me that there's three things that God's going to do with you if you belong to him, if you do sin. Because the Bible says in, in, in Psalms 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. I don't believe he's saying to you, you're lost again. I believe he's saying to us this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, we're not going to take another step farther until you take care of this business. That person you won't forgive? Mm-mm. We're going to go do that. That bill you haven't paid? Mm-mm. We're going to go do it. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we're going to go take care of that first, and then you and I will get back together, not until we do it. That's what he's saying to us. But in the same token, I really believe as he, do, as he does this, listen, listen, 
It also says to us this. It says simply, you know, the Bible says, and, and, and Jesus said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he said, little children sin not. Well, why would he say that? There is the possibility that we will sin. But in Hebrews, it tells us this. He's going to do three things to you. He's going to talk to you first. He's going to say to you, why are you acting like a nut for it? That's what he's going to do. He's going to try to, he'll send a preacher. He'll send somebody else. He's trying to get you to get your attention. He's not going to let this slide. He's not going to let that sin go away. Just, just nothing there. Oh, no, you've got to deal with it. And maybe you've got to go to somebody and you've got to say to him, hey, man, I, I, I messed up. But first thing, he's going to talk to you. Second thing is, if you won't listen to him and you continue on, then he's going to chastise you. What does that mean? He turns up the heat. I see too many Christian people don't have any joy, don't have any peace in their life. You know why? Because they're not doing what the Lord wants them to do. And when you don't do what the Lord wants you to do, his, his joy leaves, the peace leaves, he doesn't leave, but all those things that you need to have in your life leave. And by the same token, then what's the last thing? Last thing is, if you still won't listen to him, then what does he do? He scourges you. What does that mean? Read the book of Corinthians. He says in Corinthians, there are some of you that sleep. He says there are some of you that are sick. And some of you, I don't believe God makes people sick. But I believe this. All he's got to do is lift his hand. Because when we lose the blessings and Satan sees that and he moves in. And he'll make you sick because he hates you. He's trying to disrupt the flow of you and God. And so when he does that, he, he, you know, the first thing, he, he can make you sick. But the thing, second thing is, it says some of you sleep. What does that mean? It means simply the Lord says, all right, that's enough. You're coming home. Can he shorten your life? Yes, he can. See, I don't believe in greasy grace from the standpoint, well, you can just, that's antimonianism. That means that you can go do whatever you want to do once you're saved. Uh-uh. I don't believe that at all. Listen, the Bible says that the grace of God has appeared unto all men teaching us to deny ungodly lust. What does it mean? It means once grace moves in, brother, you've got a problem. And who's grace? That's Jesus. You cannot separate the grace of God from Jesus Christ. And when he moves in, he's going to have some... Paul said, I'm persuaded that that which I've committed unto him, he's able to keep against that day. That's what he says. Now, I hope I haven't crossed your, made some, some people cross their eyes. But then, but then here comes Peter to Jesus. And Peter comes up to him, and in, in Matthew 18, verse 21, 20, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, brother, sin against me, and I forgive him? And he says this, up to seven times? Because you see, the Pharisees and the Jews believe that you ought to forgive somebody two or three times. Now, I, now listen, read the 17th chapter of the book of Luke sometime, because it'll tell you it's impossible that offenses not come. You're going to be offended. Listen, if somebody doesn't come to me every day and offend me, I'm going to tell you what, I haven't had a good day. I'm serious. You're going to be offended. I mean, it's just impossible. But what God wants you to do with it is you have no choice but to forgive, to forgive, to forgive. I'll tell anybody here who wants to get married. Some of you just got married. You might as well go, if you go get a tattoo, get a tattoo that says, forgive, forgive, forgive. 
Because that's what you're going to have to do. If you can't do that, don't get married. I mean it. You're going to have to forgive and forgive and forgive. So Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive him? Seven times? And Peter thought, boy, Jesus is just going to, Jesus is going to look at me and he's going to say, Peter, you're willing to forgive people seven times? Man, what a great guy you are. What did Jesus say? Jesus said not seven times, but seven times seventy. What's he saying? Is he saying, okay, we can only, we can forgive up to 400, what is that, 400, I don't know, man, 490 times? No. He's saying that we have to live a life of absolute, total forgiveness. Have to forgive. He, he goes on to tell a story. He tells a story about a bunch of guys out in the, uh, and, and, and the disciples, I love them to death because they ask all the questions that I would ask. And so the disciples look at Jesus and they say to him, well, Lord, if you want us to forgive, like he said, if a guy comes to you seven times in a day, one time in the nine, nine, seven times in a day, you have to forgive him. And the disciples say, Lord, if you want us to forgive like that, you're going to have to increase our faith. What does he say? He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you say to this mulberry bush, not a mountain, but mulberry bush, be cast in the seed to be gone. What's he saying to us? Has nothing whatsoever to do with faith. What's it have to do with? Has to do with one thing. Obedience. You see, Jesus forgave you. You have no choice. If you've signed up to walk with Jesus and he's forgiven you, then you have no choice, but no matter whatever happens, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. And so he tells a story about a bunch of guys out in the field working and everything, and, and they come in and they're hot and sweaty, and the guy looks at them and he says to them, he says, does, Jesus asks the question, does the master of the house, does he say to them, does he say to them, does he say, uh, boys, you all been out there busting your cans. You all sit down here and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll feed you. Jesus said he doesn't do that. He still expects that same guy to do what? To feed them. What's he saying to us? He's saying that forgiveness has nothing whatsoever to do with faith. It has everything to do with obedience. If you sign to walk with Jesus, you have no choice but forgive him. Forgive him. Now, there's also, you know, Jesus also tells a story of a man who owed 10,000 talents, which figures up to one talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. So 10,000 talents would have been 60 million denarii, or 9,600,000 total denarii. The guy owes $9,600,000, and so the guy calls him in and tells him, you've got to pay this, and he, he begs and pleads with him, cries and everything he says. Oh, he says, if you just let me, give me time, whatever it is. And so what does the guy do? The master says, let him go. Just write it off. 9,600,000, just write it off. And then what happens? He goes out and he finds a guy who does what? Owes him $16. He throws him in jail. And when the master finds out about it, guess what he does? He calls him back in and he says, here's what he says. He, you know, uh, he says simply to him, as a result of that, you're going to stay here until you get it all paid, which would be never which would be never. But in that, God gives us the key to how to know if God will forgive you. To ask or repent, then to be willing to ourselves to come and humble ourselves down and say, Lord, I have messed up, I've sinned. 
and he'll forgive us. You know, to forgive others. If you truly, Matthew 18, 33 says this. It says, should you also not have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you is what he said. If you truly want God to have pity on you, then you must have pity on others. Also remember when Jesus was back to his hometown of Nazareth, he goes back there and they sort of, they want him here. here. They'd heard what he'd done in Cana, Galilee. And so when they did that, they brought him in. Here's a local boy, makes good. They watched Jesus grow up. He's at the same church he grew up in in Nazareth. And so he's there. And, and, and as a result of that, and, and so Jesus is there. And this is, in, this is Luke 4, verse 17 and 21. And, and, and they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And it said this. Uh, in, in verse 18, uh, if we can get it going there, crank it up there, boys, put some gas in that thing. If the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the broken heart, proclaim the liberty of the captives, and recover the sight of the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Then he goes on tonight, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the Bible says that every eye in that place was watching him as he went and he sat down. Because now he's supposed to give a little sermon. And what's he say? In synagogue, he says, and he began to say to them, Today the scriptures fulfilled your hearing. What did he just say? I'm the Messiah. Oh, and they went nuts. They're trying to take him to a cliff and throw him off of it now. That's what they're trying to do. But you notice something as I read this? I, I, I noticed some things. In verse 19, Jesus calls us the acceptable year of Jubilee. It's the year of Jubilee. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. What's the Jubilee? What happened in the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee was the 50th year after seven cycles, seven times seven, 49 years. The next year, 50, Israel gained freedom. It was a time of rest for the soul. It was well as the people. All the land was to revert back to the original owner. They had, they had been obliged to sell what was revert original owners. All Israelites who they had a, a, an indentured type of slavery, all Israelites who had been sold themselves in because of poverty was to be redeemed, to be set free along with the children. And Jesus just announced it's a chance for a new start for everybody is what he's saying. Now, when Jesus reads this, he reads this from the book of Isaiah. But I want you to notice something there. He leaves out part of it. What do you mean he leaves out part of it, Lee? Because he says to set the liberty those who are oppressed. Look what it says in Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, to console those who mourn Zion. He read this. And gave them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy of mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. But those who mourn, then he goes on, he goes on and look at verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now listen to this. And the day of what? Vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. What's he saying? There was no vengeance here. He's saying he's talking about his second coming now. 
He's saying simply to proclaim the acceptable year of the freedom. We're in that right now. We're in the church age. We are freedom for anybody that wants to come and accept Jesus can come now. But there's coming a time, a day of vengeance, when God will pour out his spirit upon all mankind. And in that time, he, the great white throne judgment will take. The Bible says the rest of the dead live not until the end of the thousand years. There's coming and all whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Why? The day of vengeance has come. But it doesn't He hadn't come to bring that. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. You know, for it says the day of vengeance. So what is the church age? It is a plural, uh, it's a period of time you and I can get saved and forgiven for there's coming a time of vengeance. There's coming a time when that time is over with. The night is far spent and the day's at hand that time's running out. Why? Because he came the first time to seek and to save that which was lost. But when he comes back the second coming, he comes riding a white horse and he comes in a day of vengeance. When Isaiah wrote these words, in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then he says, then the government will be on his shoulders, but not yet. The government was not on his shoulders. Jesus didn't have anything to do with the government, but he will in the millennium. And will do exactly what he wants us to do. And people will go to that mountain to speak to him. And this is when he changes everything in that thousand years. The first time Jesus came, he came to seek and to save you, and he came to seek and to save me. Remember the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery? Now, she was guilty, but these guys brought her, they thought they had Jesus. Because they thought they'd say to him simply, okay, you know, what, what do you say? We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. What do you say, Jesus? Because if he said, well, set her free, they'd say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you know, you're talking about the grace of God. Moses said we're supposed to stone her. If he says stone her, well, wait a minute, you haven't been preaching. That's what they thought. What did Jesus do? Jesus knelt on the ground. They started writing on the ground. And all these guys that brought her, they were looking for what he's writing. I used to think that what he was writing... He was writing down December 14th, uh, Motel 6. And these guys looked at him, and all of a sudden they probably said, Wait a minute, I just remember I got something on the stove. <laughs> or I got to go home and let my, I got to get my cows out or whatever. They were, and all of a sudden they just dissipated. That wasn't the reason that Jesus was writing on the ground reason Jesus was writing on the ground because they say that the same rocks that are there in Jerusalem are the same as it was on Sinai. And Jesus was writing it and he was saying to them, I'm the one, you're talking to me about the law. I'm the one who wrote the law. That's what he was saying. I'm the one who wrote the law. Now, Jesus is still there. And I believe with all my heart that woman is standing there. And this is so profound. Jesus raises up and he looks her straight in the eye. And I want you to hear this. Because this is the very same thing he does with us. 
He says to her, woman, he says, where are thine accusers? Has no man accused thee? And she said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Do you see the progression here? It's not go and sin no more. Get yourself all cleaned up and come back to me. No, he says come just the way you are. You come sins and all. You come everything that's happened to you. You come with all the baggage. You come with every bit of it. And I'll forgive you. Neither do I condemn. There is the Bible, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And so he said, go and sin no more. But grace does something. The grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodly lust. Grace is powerful. I'll tell you something. You know what's the greatest power in the world? And you have it if you know Jesus. You know what the greatest power in the world is? The Bible tells us over in Romans 1 verse 16. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the what? The power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, even to, every, to the Jew and also to the Greek. That's the power you possess. That's the power you possess. All those who were against her, yet Jesus, you know what? Now think about this. All those people, here was this woman by herself. By herself. All these men, these religious, probably dignitaries, were all against her. All those who were against her, yet Jesus stood with her. Not for sin, but for her. She was guilty. But you go back to that verse in 1 John chapter 2. Little children sin not, but if you do sin, you have a what? An advocate. He was acting as an advocate for this woman. He was standing with her. So when you and I sin, Jesus is our advocate. He's, our best, he's the best lawyer anybody could have. I mean it. He's the best lawyer you can have. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Joe Biden would appreciate this. This is the judge's son. You know? That's who I lawyer I got. This is the judge's son. So first John chapter two, you have an advocate with you, and he will not if you'll just turn to him. Is that if, if we're in Christ? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Where is the sin you once stood alone for? But the fact you're in Christ, behold, all things have become new. New, you don't stand alone. Jesus is there standing with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll stick closer than a brother. Isaiah 43, 25 says, Even I am a who blots out your transgressions of own sake, and I will remember them no more. People tell us, people tell us simply that we're in the we're, we're in the new covenant. Well, we are, 
But I want to tell you something when we're in the new covenant. You know what the, the main clause of the new covenant is? Go to chapter 8 of Hebrews and listen to what it says. Here it is. For I will, verse 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. If you come to him, if you come to him, Romans 8, 16 says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And listen to what it says over in Galatians. Uh, and, and let me read this to you. I'm going to read this out. Of, the Lord don't strike me down. I'm going to read out a message. But, but listen to what it says in the message. You know, some of, these, some, some of these things are really good. But listen to what it says in the message. And this is in chapter 4. Of the, uh, you find it in your Bible 4, uh, starting with, um, where does it start? With verse 7? Okay. It says, you can tell for sure that you're now fully adopted as his own children because God has sent his spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? And if you're a child, you're also an heir with complete access to that inheritance. Man, 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 man. What a, what a great thing that is. Now, and, and, and so the, the world sees God as a deity to avoid him or even to escape him. But when you turn to him and trust him, he begins to perceive him as the father and the perfect father. He realized, now maybe some of you here today had a terrible father. Somebody that was a jerk. But let me tell you something. If you come to Jesus, you have the perfect father right now. Perfect father. You have the perfect father. Roman, you know, uh, Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and the Holy Spirit who's given to us. The Holy Spirit conveys to you this truth and your destiny is in the hands of a loving Father. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, also I've got another verse from the message. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse starting with, what is it? Start of 1, verse 21. Listen to what it says. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. Man. Man. You begin to understand that God has written your name in his book of life, but not with a pencil. But he wrote your name in the book of life with the precious blood of Jesus. He doesn't linger over it with an eraser to find an excuse to take it out. He's the guy, a good father who's recorded your name in the book of life. There's a great old hymn. It was written by Robert Hawkins. And here's what it says. It says, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. 
Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in the holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Why do you need to know that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit? And why do you need to know that you're adopted? Because when, you know, it's just like children. I used to, when I was a principal, those children that came from homes that they just, their mom and dad was there with them. The water boy, they had such a confidence, and that's the thing. He, we, when we know it, we have such assurance. We have such assurance. And from the person of the Holy Spirit, we get far more significant assurance from him. We receive an acceptance letter from heaven. Do you know that God wrote you an acceptance letter? Listen what it says over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 4, 1 John chapter 17, verses 17 through, through 19. I can get it. Listen to what he says. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is not for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. There's a wonderful prayer by Robert Robinson. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Somebody look at me and may say to me, Lee, I don't feel saved. Well, let me just say this to you. I've gone away, I've gone alone with the Lord many, many times. And I've come back many times and, and not really felt really good about things. But I will tell you, here lately I went away with him and I felt his presence like never before. I just felt like as I walked with him a little bit, I can't explain it. I just know that it, it was there. Now here's what I would tell you though. How do I get to there, Lee? You have to believe what God says. Hear me? Not what you feel. You have to hear, you have to hear what God says. You have to believe what God says. Because here it is. It's fact. God says his word will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish what he set it out to do. He says his word is forever settled in the heavens. What does that mean? Ever seen a rainbow? You say, well, that means they're not, he's not going to flood the earth anymore. Yeah, it does, but let me tell you what else it means. It means he never goes back on his word. You know? Just like we don't teach replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. We believe with all our heart and soul that, that uh, Israel will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Read the 11th chapter, the first two verses, and even go down to verse 20-something. It tells you all Israel will be saved, and they will. 
God's got a plan. But what do I got to do, Lee? I got to go fact. I got to put my faith in that fact. And then once I put my faith in that fact, guess what? I can expect feelings. That's what's got to happen. Fact, faith, feelings. That's what I've got to do. God loves you with a perfect love. Perfect, he has a perfect knowledge of your past mistakes. You know, the Bible even says, what profit have I now in those things that I'm ashamed of? He still loves me, and yet he knows all that stuff. Perfect knowledge of your future mistakes. And yet, it's perfectly willing to love you despite all that, if you'll come to him. But he'll correct you, but he is committed to getting you home safely in Ohio. I don't know the guy's name. There was one of the first cases of diagnosed with coronavirus, a little rural community. The gentleman was 38 years old. He's a healthy father of two daughters in the rural, rural county in Ohio. And the disease attacked him with a vengeance, coronavirus. And he was placed, he had to be placed in the Cleveland Clinic when, and was placed on life support. His condition so deteriorated that the hospital began to end life discussions with his wife. The medical team monitored his treatment by writing goals for each day on the glass door of his room. But one of the things they did at the end of the note, they wrote these words. We're going to get you home. We'll get you home. Little by little, he got better. You know, those doctors are so wonderful, and I thank God for them. But I will tell you this, they don't have the power the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, you surrender your life to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get you home. And it won't be long, church. It won't be long. He'll get you home. We're going to have a verse of invitation. And if you're